This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. What is Agent Ignite? Are you wondering how you can make more money and create a competitive advantage for yourself and your clients in this ever-competitive real estate industry? Agent Ignite is the key to furthering your knowledge, establishing your expertise, and positioning yourself as a go-to expert. They deliver new and relevant knowledge so you can expand your clientele, close more deals, and ultimately increase income. Each month features a new guest speaker who will deliver on what is most relevant for your business. As a member of DMAR's Market Trends Committee, an avid champion for building wealth through real estate, and a self-proclaimed data geek, Nicole will share market trends and commentary that will add value to you and your clients. Staying up to date on industry statistics coupled with niche topics delivered by industry experts will help you motivate your buyers and sellers and make you more money. Sign up for the next Agent Ignite session at theruthteam.com slash events. That's T-H-E-R-U-E-T-H team.com forward slash events. Our guest is Abel Pacheco. Thanks for being on the show, Abel. Hey, thank you for having me, Whitney. Appreciate the invitation and appreciate all the time and effort you put into putting education out there for others. I think it's awesome. So I'm back into the network there. Oh, thank you for that. I'm grateful for your time as well and you being willing to give back and, and share your expertise and experience with the listeners and myself. But a little about Abel, in case you haven't heard of him before, he began real estate investing in 2008, invested in 800 doors of multifamily, 400 passively as an LP, and then also 400 on the GP side as an active partner as well, while working full-time, I want to add, while working full-time as an IT sales leader. 20 years of corporate and entrepreneurial experience, including a verifiable 10x track record of sales from $5 million in 2010 to $57 million of acquisitions in 2016. Been married for 12 years with two beautiful children, two-year-old and an eight-month-old. Wow. Congratulations on many fronts there, Abel, and grateful again to have you on the show. I want to jump in and highlight your superpower, but I want you to tell the listeners a little bit more about maybe where you're from and your focus right now in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for, for having me on. Yeah, I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas. Originally, I grew up there and moved after high school to San Antonio, Texas. So pretty much been half of my life in Corpus and half of my life in San Antonio, Texas. And yep, we just celebrated the 12 year, as you mentioned, actually yesterday. So we were super excited and two under two. So it's been a good run. My wife is one of my biggest advocates and best partner that I have. And she's been there alongside as we've been real estate investing since we were younger. And yeah, just enjoyed the time. We started investing in 2008 we were probably like a lot of investors. We were investors in single family houses and slowly but surely just every couple of years would squirrel away as much as we could. And it's enough to put a down payment on a new house and we would slowly just stack properties and we were buy and hold investors. We'd buy them and make sure that they were nice, clean, comfortable, safe, rent them out. And throughout the years, as you mentioned, full-time was working in IT sales. I was a sales leader, started as a sales rep, sales director, sales leader throughout a couple of different companies. Cutco sales was one. Rackspace IT hosting was another. And throughout that career, full-time 
W-2 job, we would just try to buy properties. The goal was always to retire with real estate and have enough passive income that we could become financially free, have our payments being taken care of by renters, and then be able to retire and do full-time real estate. So that was always the goal and enjoyed the process. In 2008, like I said, we bought our first property and it turned into 10 years later, we bought eight. We had a portfolio. We were still managing all of these properties. At the same time, I had a W-2. The kids came. It made it a little more difficult to keep going on this trajectory and found some education at that time. My sister dragged me into a like a three-day course, a three-day seminar over the weekend and just opened my mind to all of the things that people were doing and signed up for some education, signed up for some courses and then went on our run from eight to 800 doors. And just like you said, just vested passively first to kind of see, feel my way through this process. And then now a general partner in a couple of uh, larger deals as well. So we focus on B and C value add properties, 100 unit plus. So far, we've done only syndication as general partners are active partners, and we've enjoyed the run so far. So that's a a little bit about me. Maybe I'll pause awesome. here for it. No, you mentioned it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it took 10 years to get to eight doors. Yep. Right? But then after that, it's like something changed, right? I mean, then you're at 800 doors. What, in the next, how long was that? I missed it. Yeah, it's been about two years. So I did yeah. my first, or a little under, my first limited partner, passive investor kind of investment was 128 units. We invested passively from our 401k, we left one job where I left the W-2, so I was able to transition that to an IRA and then self-directed that into the deal. And that was October of 2018. So that was my first one and, you know, just so kind of what, kept moving. So um, what changed? You know, like I would imagine there's numerous things that had to change, but, but I'd love to know what change had to take place for you to not just take the action to do it, but like just have the mindset that it, it was even possible as well. And I know that that had to happen for me, I know. And I, what about yourself? For me, it was really a job. It was my W-2. It was my day job, right? I had a fantastic run, as, as you kind of saw there, some numbers. I led a pretty large sales team of about 50 to 60 sales reps. I had about six or seven sales managers all under me. And we had a, an amazing 10x run, $57 million in acquisitions. And every time, every year, my quota would be reevaluated. <laughs> and I realized, man, this is not going to end anytime soon. I look back on my 20-year sales history of my career, and I've pretty much been, for the first five to seven years, maybe 100% commission. Never had a, a stable salary until I was an IT professional, an IT sales professional. I had a 50% of my commissions were at risk, and 50% of them were my base pay, right? So always at risk. Every year, you put 50% up. And I realized, man, as I keep continuing to perform, no matter how many sales I made, my quota actually went up. I was rewarded every year with great success with a bigger quota, which means we had to sell more, produce more, and actually get paid less for the same amount. I was very blessed to have this opportunity, 10-year run with this company called Rackspace. The founders were awesome. The leadership was awesome. My direct leaders were awesome. So I stayed there for so long. But I just realized, man, there's never going to be a time where I'm creating this return, this profit, this wealth. It's never going to be mine unless I actually put it into something that's going to create some income generation for me and an asset that, that would produce when I was asleep. So that was kind of the mindset. And 
it was a slow transition to commercial multifamily real estate. But since 2008, that was the goal. I just didn't realize back then that I could actually go buy an apartment complex. It did, right. it did not click in my mind till later. I have a friend and partner and somebody locally that, that I've worked with and he's done a lot of business. And I, I looked at him, I go, man, he's just like me. He's a normal guy. How are people doing this? And, and I started taking education and classes to feed that. So you have that doubt, that fear, that worry, that anxiety of actually moving forward on a big commercial project. And what allowed me to overcome that was added education. So with more competence, it basically gives you confidence and it removes some of that fear and anxiety. And then you just keep taking one action after another. Love that. Added education gave you confidence. No doubt about it. When you don't know, I mean, you're fearful, right? You don't know what to expect or what's going to happen or how to do something. How did you educate yourself? Give us a couple tips there before we move on uh, that gave you that level of confidence. Well, I've done, let me see. First was the action to go do a deal my own, on my own. And I think that was the one benefit from single family was I could save more dollars, hard-earned money for a couple of years, put 25 or 30 grand into a deal paperwork, education, was back then talking to my mortgage broker, getting a good team behind me, having a good property. Uh, was it the realtor who was helping me and actually going through like education on how to pick the property. So I applied that same mindset for 10 years, my single family team to my multifamily team. And I said, well, there's got to be something to that. And I realized the team has a lot, it feels like a lot more expertise. There's a lot more people but basically did the same process. Who do I need for a lawyer? Who's going to help me analyze the numbers? Who's going to help me underwrite? Who's going to help me you know, make sure the asset was good? And so that education came from asking people that I knew were successful. They were doing the same thing that I wanted to do. I asked them for their referrals. And then I also signed up for, I probably signed up for about four to five educational courses. I did spend a good chunk of money four courses later I probably to travel to 13 to 14 cities, many multiple weekends. I did this while my wife was pregnant and we made that decision and said, if I'm going to do it, you're going to be alone on the weekends because I had the full-time job. I have to go travel every Friday and, and return Monday. That was a grind probably for my first year, really educating myself hard. So I went to multifamily seminars, multifamily, the conferences. I went to commercial classes specifically on commercial, the overall world, uh, not just multifamily, some underwriting classes. And I just kind of, I signed up for and paid for as many courses as I could throughout the year. So that was a fun year. And then every time I was back home, call it Monday through Friday, if I wasn't at work during lunch, washing dishes outside in the backyard, just podcasts, I don't even know how to count how many hours of podcasts I've consumed, you know, and then after that, it was like, well, the voice I kept hearing, and I, I know somebody said, I, I didn't come up with this, I won't take credit, but they said, hey, education without action is just entertainment. And unless you take action, none of that education can actually help you. And they say knowledge is, is power, but implemented knowledge, that'll change your life. And so that is the, the kind of those mindsets that I said. I've got to apply and I've got to go do something. I got to invest in a deal. I got to learn from it. And so that was kind of my education. And then I'm obviously now I'm still learning every single deal, every single opportunity, every podcast. You know, we haven't been to a conference in a while. And I don't know how often these are going to come back. 
during our time where a thousand right. of us are going to be shaking hands. But I'm trying to do these Zoom uh, events now and started a meetup. That's helped me through my education. People ask me questions. Started that one locally, and now we're on to webinars and doing these live webinars every couple of weeks. So that all of that has kind of forced me. Well, I'm going to be giving education. I better learn it myself. So that was kind of the progression of education where. I still feel myself. I'm going to still continue to learn as much as I can every day, every week, every month. Our guest is Axel Ragnarsson. Thanks for being on the show, Axel. Absolutely. I really appreciate the invite. Looking forward to our conversation. Yes, I am as well. You have a very impressive bio, and I'm very interested to hear more about your story. I know the listeners are going to learn a lot from you and hopefully be motivated and encouraged as well just by what you've accomplished. But a little about Axel, he built a $4 million portfolio by 25 using other people's money. He's the host of the Multifamily Wealth Podcast and founder of his real estate investment firm, Brickleaf Properties. So Axel, you know, give us a little more about, you know, I want to hear more about your background and, you know, how do you get into real estate that quick and be that successful that early, right? I mean, just being that young and there's all kinds of issues there we, that people have when they're younger in the business. I experienced some of that, you know, initially as well, but would love to hear more about your story and, and just this path to success that you've had. Absolutely. No, I mean, I appreciate the kind words and I'll try and keep it short and quick. But back when I was in high school and early college, I would buy and sell cars. <laughs> so that was a little business I'd run on the side. And got to the point where I was in college and I was thinking about, you know, what's bigger than this? What can I, you know, buy and sell that's, you know, more money and has more upside than maybe cars do. So I started just Googling things. You know, I I watched HGTV. So I saw the house flipping shows and, you know, I thought, hey, maybe real estate's an interesting business to get into. So I got into real estate through the lens of I want to flip houses. And then as I started doing more and more research into real estate itself and, and specifically real estate investing, I found rental real estate investing. And I said, that's probably a better model. You know, you do the work once and get paid in perpetuity. That sounds like a pretty good deal. So I started learning a lot about multifamily real estate specifically and how to actually buy it, especially when you have, you know, little cash in the bank or just less cash in the bank than what you'd think you'd need, which is where I was at. And this was in my early twenties. And then through probably after around 18 months of just pure research and networking, I found a small multifamily on Craigslist on a three unit multi. How long were you searching? Probably 18 months or so, okay. a year and a half, a good, you know, maybe even more than that. Just listening to podcasts and reading articles, doing everything I could to learn the business. And an opportunity presented itself. I financed it with a private lender that I had met through a college internship. And that was kind of the start of my real estate career, I guess. And since then, you know, I've been using what's popularized as the Burr strategy, buying smaller multifamilies to grow the portfolio over the last few years. And now started raising capital from equity investors, primarily in the joint venture structure to actually scale the portfolio, buy some larger buildings and pour some gas on the fire. And that pretty much brings us to today. Awesome. Well, uh, it's an incredible story, but it's neat that you you kind of had that entrepreneurial fire, you know, in high school and buying and selling cars. And, you know, I, I, were you making any money doing that while you were doing it then? I was making some money. I look back, I thought I was making a ton of money at the time. And then you look back and you think, you know, I was doing a lot of work to make five, six, seven hundred bucks here and there, but I just didn't want to work for someone else. So I was like, you know, what can I do on the side to make some money? And that's what it was. Okay. So you looked for something that had more upside, more money that you can make from turning something over like that, buying and selling and and in-came real estate. And first you thought flipping, which a lot of people do, you know, you think, oh, we'll start there. But then it was 
Let's do multifamily. So you have more recurring income. But I want to hear a little more about, you know, that relationship or how you got financing. Because I know a lot of people, I mean, they get called up there, right? They can't get started because they can't get the financing or they can't get to the next step because they don't have any capital of their own to put in. And so a lot of people will quit there. How did you make that happen? Sure. So the quick backstory is I did a college internship for a small angel investment group. And there was a group of 10, 15 guys that were investing in startup companies. And it was a great internship. I, you know, obviously great connections were made there. And one of the guys that was in the group also did private money lending. And this is really early when I just started thinking about getting into real estate. So we just had casual conversations, you know, five minutes before, five minutes after the monthly meeting they had where entrepreneurs would come in and pitch. And, you know, my role is I basically take notes for the meeting and then distribute it after and started learning more about, you know, what he did, what private money lending really was. So I just kind of lucked into understanding that piece of the real estate business really early on. And, you know, the biggest challenge that I faced was, you know, despite the fact that I had a relationship with this person, it doesn't mean that they're going to lend on a deal that I find, right? There's, you know, there's a big gap between knowing someone and having them trust you enough to lend you money. So Basically, what I did was I just, you know, kept him apprised of what I was doing for over a year. And I was looking at deals, I was evaluating deals, you know, it wasn't like I was, you know, meddling, I was spending, you know, 2030 hours a week on top of everything else I was doing, just learning real estate, you know, underwriting deals, you know, making connections in the industry. And soon there was some common connections that I had with him, trusted, you know, individuals that were, you know, well known in the real estate business in our local market. You know, I was just talking to him about deals all the time. So it got to the point where when I did actually find this deal, this three-unit property on Craigslist, and I brought him the numbers and I said, hey, I'm really confident that this is something that makes sense. And he said, you know what? We've been talking about this for so long. You know, you're ready to, to actually execute on something. So you know, the takeaway for me is that you have to share what you're doing with folks that could potentially be lenders when you're starting out. You know, The more that people understand that you're spending time in the business and becoming more and more proficient with you know, real estate as as an actual business, then I think they're going to be more likely to lend you money. So that's what I prioritized early on was just really documenting what I was doing and sharing it with the folks that I might want to work with. Interesting. So you're sharing it. I mean, otherwise people aren't going to know that you're pursuing this, right? They may have an interest as well, and it's never even brought up if you don't talk about it. Exactly. Yeah, no, you have to share. I mean, it's really important, especially when you want to raise money because you need to kind of you know passively build that trust, whether you're raising money from, in the, well, in the form of equity and in a syndication or some kind of partnership, or it's a private money lender. I mean, both you're raising money in both situations, they're just paid back in different ways. So it's, you know, you, you have to develop that authority in the space. And it's hard to do that when you start. So you have to be patient and, and put time into it, but make it a, you know, a, a focal point of what you do. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, your lead generation strategy and how you networked and how you, I mean, just how you started growing your brand and, you know, your business, you know, and whether that started, you know, what you were thinking then about lead generation and networking and those things maybe even compared to now and how you've learned and and grown that way. Absolutely. So when I was starting out, right, I had time. I was a college student. I had time to hustle and, you know, pound the pavement and, and, and talk to people and look for deals online and, and underwrite deals. And, you know, something that I focused on early on was building some lead channels that weren't the MLS because this is 2016, 2017. And, you know, it was competitive then it's competitive now, you know, you're not going to really find anything that's publicly listed. So in my space, which at the time was, you know, four to 10 unit multifamily properties, they were, they were smaller in size. I really prioritized networking with the owners in the market that owned numerous properties. And I took a really long-term approach to that, just, you know, grabbing coffee every you know, three, four, five months and just checking up on their business, 
letting them know that if they were interested in selling that I was a buyer, doing the same thing with the brokers that typically sold those properties. And then I did some more active and paid marketing and prospecting. So I did direct mail and I actually did a lot of email marketing and marketing might not be the right word, but email prospecting where I'd find the owners of a building, you know, get their email somehow, Google search, skip trace it, you know, find what the contact email was in their LLC, you know, however you can grab it. And I just reach out and start, you know, I wouldn't reach out saying, Hey, I want to buy this place this is what I'm going to offer. You know, I'd, I'd reach out with the goal of trying to build a connection. So I'd reach out and say, Hey, you know, I'm a local investor. I'm interested in buying more in the Manchester market. If you're interested in selling, you know, certainly give me a call. If not, great. I'd love to, you know, to meet and grab coffee and, you know, get to know you since we're both doing the same thing. So took a really low pressure approach, I guess is a good way to, to classify it. So a combination of all those things, you know, built a lead funnel that basically outgrew the capital connections I had, which, you know, led for me or led me to, to needing to raise some money. But that's, and I placed a, a conscious focus on those few main areas. And in the multifamily space, you'll find that networking is like probably the greatest way to get the deals comparatively to, you know, the more transactional business of single family homes where one owner is probably just going to sell you one house in their lifetime. Whereas in the multifamily space, you might have an owner that's looking to sell his six unit building, but he's got another 80 units in his portfolio that he's looking to sell at some point. So I placed a focus on developing the connections with the people that had the buildings in my market. And then, you know, they called me when they wanted to sell. Nice. I think it's so smart. So smart. And that's just another reason we like multifamily as opposed to single family. And it's so true, the relationship component of, I mean, especially syndication business, every aspect of it is relationship and team, you know, business. But even that aspect, a lot of people don't see or think about that relationship as much, but it is the sellers. I mean, you're right. A lot of them have been in the business many, many years and they have numerous properties and they're not just going to sell this one you know, eventually they're going to sell all of them at some point in time. And so, you know, tell me a little more about how you, you could just created that relationship. What would that look like? I mean, I know you mentioned like sending an email, maybe going out to coffee or, you know, something like that. But, you know, how do you, is it like reaching out at once a month? Was it reaching out every week or six months or, you know, following back up? How did you finally bring up the property or how did you share with them that that's, you know, what you're into as well? So I tried to prioritize providing value at as many touch points as I could. And I'll try and explain that a little bit further. But when I'd initially reach out, something that I, I would do is I'd put together a newsletter for the marketplace that was multifamily focused. And it includes, I'm licensed, so I have access to the MLS. So I'd, I'd go on there and pull a lot of the data for multifamily sales in the area over the last quarter or over the last you know half a year, six months, whatever time frame. And I'd package that with some maybe key transaction or key events in the market. You know, maybe there's a new 250 unit multifamily development, right? I think that's something that anyone who owns a multifamily, regardless of the size in that market, might want to know about. So I started pulling information that I, as an owner, might find helpful. So when I'd initially reach out, I'd attach that newsletter. And at least now it's not completely salesy in terms of the message, right? There's some value being sent. You know, I'm making it known that I want to buy and I'm making it known that I'm interested in building a relationship rather than I'm just rifling out emails or, you know, messages to, you know, Craigslist for rent ads or something like that. Basically, I, every time I reached out, I wanted to bring some value. And then after that, I basically put all the contacts I had in the marketplace into a CRM and the addresses of the properties that I knew they, they owned. And basically, I'd give myself reminders every three to six months, you know, reach out to this person, you know, they own this property on, you know, one, two, three Main Street. I try and do some research to see, hey, maybe there's something that's sold that's a similar type of building to the one that they own. And, 
you know, maybe they'd be interested in knowing what the new comp was in the area or something like that. Basically, I did a lot of things that brokers do, but I basically, you know, applied it as a buyer rather than as a broker. So I tried to reach out, provide value as much as I can. And I think that's not something that a lot of people do. So when I did do that, it's, you know, and it's another reason to just reach out and gives you another reason to stay in touch with people. So that was really the big thing I did in terms of building those relationships more so than just, you know, completely cold outreach that where it's hard to build something off of that. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 